podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome along to your Sunday night edition of the TII podcast. My name is Craig Dennett and I'm your host this evening as we look back on what has been a hectic, uh, busy, up and down, many descriptions for how this week has been. We'll try and cover them all, we'll try and go through all the emotions uh, that we've gone through and we'll start to look ahead as well to what I assume is not going to be a quiet international break for Rangers. Joining me to do all of that, we have JB. How are you doing, JB? Yeah, very well. Uh, after a good win today, so uh, it softened the blow ever so slightly after Thursday, but only slightly. Yeah, JB was one of the guys out there in Limassol on Thursday, um, so very much um, suffering, I guess. <laughs> he was just telling us on his way back. Um We'll, we'll go into that a bit more detail. Also joining us is our managing editor, Tommy McIntyre. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm well. Yeah, three points. Doesn't paper over the cracks, but I'm sure we'll get to that during this conversation. We absolutely will. So let's get on to, I guess, today's performance, first of all, before we go on to start talking about new managers and who we think should be in the dugout and um, structures within the football club, etc., etc. But Let's talk about a Rangers win, first and foremost, which is a wee bit of a rarity um, over the last couple of weeks. So, may as well start with the positives. Rangers beating St Mirren 3-0, a 10-man St Mirren for much of the game. Uh, JB, start with yourself. Can you start just let us know what were your thoughts on the game? What were your overall reflections? Did you enjoy it? Um, I would say for the first 20 minutes, um, I thought, right, this is better, more like it, uh, without being spectacular. Uh, so I don't think we created too much in the first 20, but there was definitely just that, there was just more energy. I think that was the thing that we've been crying out for this season. I know we've been starting games reasonably well, um, but I just felt as if you could see there was just a wee bit more of a determination. Things were just a little bit crisper. Um, I thought Lovelace just give us a give us a bit of a different dimension uh, down the right hand side, as opposed to maybe like a Lammers who wants to take twenty five touches and stuff. So it was almost a case of it felt as if they'd had a little bit of a shake. But as we know with this Rangers team, we can't get too excited too quickly. Um, so yeah, no, I thought it was a real positive start. And then obviously the pleased to get the win. Um, obviously. Tavernier does what he does from the penalty spot, cracking goal, and obviously Seema chipping in as well at the end. So, yeah, pleased with the three points. But as Tommy said earlier, doesn't it, it doesn't it just papers over the cracks for another week, doesn't it? Uh, but pleased to get going into the international break on some form of a high, albeit not spectacular. Yeah, Tommy, I'm not sure I fully agree with JB in terms of a positive start to the game, having watched that first thirty minutes where I think each team had one shot off target and that was the that was the grand total of all goal mouth action in that first 30 minutes. I wasn't overly enamoured by the move. I wasn't um I wasn't didn't see a reaction. Uh, you always expect a reaction after a bad result, but I didn't really th- think I saw that okay. from no, no with a squad you don't <laughs> what did uh, lie down again. That seems to be the only reaction from this. <laughs> what are your uh, reflections on that game today? I, I'm probably probably slightly more to your side than, than I am to JB's, although I think JB's just trying to channel a lot of that positivity there. I can't can't blame the guy for that on a on a Sunday evening, right? Um I thought minimal viable product, right? You rock up in Paisley, you're supposed to get the three points. We got the three points. Lovelace looked bright. I'm absolutely with JB on this. He did more than, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever it was um, than Dessels and Lammers have done in their Rangers' careers. And I, the word careers is in italics there, obviously, right? Um, then he obviously gets unfortunately injured and he's and he's away. But I thought it was pretty turgid stuff, actually. I thought we were okay possession-wise, but there wasn't a hell of a lot of chances. We get the penalty that accelerates us. The sending off really changes it. Again, I come back to it. Minimal viable product. Rangers should be getting three points in Paisley. They relatively should be keeping a clean sheet. They should be comfortable. We've all been bruised by how badly this team performs and how fragile they seem to be. So getting away with that, going into the international break, I agree, is good. 
But there's much bigger stories, and that's just a wee bit of, right, okay, at least your weekend wasn't ruined with another three points dropped. So, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much the tale of that game, actually. Yeah, both of you have mentioned Zach Lovelace, um, who made his first start for Rangers today. Tommy, I'll stick with you. First of all, going between Thursday and today, a lot of the commentary, a lot of the discussion amongst Rangers fans was, is Stephen Davis going to rock the boat or will he just keep going with the, with the, with the same names, the same people that have, um, have been performing poorly so far? Um, there was a, a, from what I saw, there was a bit around, he probably won't. He'll probably just stick with the people that that he knows, and he'll probably just stick with the with the the same um, the same characters that we've seen over the last year, eighteen months or so, um, and many of whom have have let us down on numerous occasions. But we did see that Zach Lovelace came in for his first start, which I think gave everyone a bit of a, a boost. We saw that um, Cyril Dessers, Sam Lammers, and Ben Davies all dropped to the bench, um, so he did bring some changes. And there was, were you surprised by that move? Were you happy with that move? Obviously, we we saw how Zach Lovelace played, um, in the in the first forty minutes or so before he got injured. But he, he did seem to be the bright spark. But I wonder how much of that, as well as us just grasping at anything that we could possibly grasp at to try and find a positive. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think anybody was surprised to see changes. Actually, I think people would have wanted to see more changes, middle of the pitch, Lundstrom, these types of people. But he's, you know. Davis and his team are working within the squad that they currently have. You know, their job is to, well, if we want to see tons of changes, they need to protect getting the three points. I get that. He's been able to give youth a, a bit of a chance there, McCausland and Rice coming on at the very end uh, as well. Yeah, listen, Lovelace, it was it was a positive, you know, day for him, apart from the injury, obviously, right? But he's not done anything, he's not stuck it in the back of the net or anything like that. It's not me having to go at him. I'm just saying the bar is pretty low coming in for... Dessers and, and Lammers, you know, challenge uh, the defence, run at your man, beat them, cause a little bit of trouble, right? Okay, you've already done more than, than they've done. So I, I thought it was good, you know, it was positive from him. I hope, you know, he's, he's back he's back and playing real, really soon. Actually, the story inside that for me is probably a little bit more of when he goes off, Davis doesn't reach for Dessers or Lammers. You know, he, he kind of, um, he snubs them again for want of a better phrase, right? Not a phrase I particularly enjoy, but a little bit of a, a message being sent there that you've done nothing to warrant it. Forget all the outside noise for the fans for a second, right? They've done nothing to warrant being in the starting lineup, And that's the, you know, the worrying thing there. So you're talking about reaction. I'm not entirely sure what kind of reaction Dessers or Lammers can give. You know, we keep coming back to um, Dessers as a confidence player. I think De Boer had said this when he, when he signed, etc. Where do you rehabilitate him? How does a manager rehabilitate him when he comes in, you know, during the international break or uh, whatever? And certainly that's the timeline that the club are trying to run to. Uh, that's the more important thing for me. It was a case of, and when Davis finally did turn to Dessels, he gets a chance. He's through. Nobody was putting any money on him sticking that in the back of the net. I'm pretty sure the keeper closed his eyes and went, I'll just fall over and I'll get this right. Doesn't strike it well. The, the guy's an empty jersey right now. And that's not me just having a one a go at one guy. I'm just saying somebody has to find a way to rehabilitate him because other than that, you're trying to let him go at a complete loss. And it's that's going to be a hard sell anyway. I, I should probably pack away my Cyril Dessel soapbox, right, and let JB have a shot for a while as well. But yeah, I'd love anybody in the comments to say that when Dessels was powering through, did they have the, sh the smallest shred of belief that he was going to slam that across the keeper or give him the eyes and put it near post. Anybody? Absolutely not. For me, I, I saw JB shaking his head as well there, so I assume it's a no from him as well. Yeah, no, 100%. I was the same with um as he was going through. It was just, you, you know, that excitement you get when you see a player going through or a player stepping up to take a penalty, you think, right, he'll go, just get a good clean strike. And you just thought... No, just, just low expectation. And what really frustrated me, and him and Lammers, and I don't know if this is just a sign of confidence, have you noticed every time they shoot, they end up on the floor? Every time, they seem to do everything on the stretch, and there's nothing ever done with any kind of conviction or shape. Just to confirm, by the way, my point in terms of the performance today, I thought the middle 60 of the game was absolutely scandalous. Uh, but I just thought that... I don't know whether that was just me, as you touched on there, Craig, the hangover from Thursday. 
coming out of the ground, and we'll probably get to the Irish game in a second. But when I came out of that ground on Thursday, of the 30 years I've been following Rangers and done, I think I've done 30 odd trips abroad, that is the lowest I've ever felt coming out of the stadium. I include Seville, Manchester, Unirea, Macedonia. Honestly, it was the worst. The effort and the application from the players was nothing short of disgusting. And seeing it in the stand, because I spoke to my dad's after my dad afterwards, and I said, How bad was it, Dad? Did it come across on the telly as bad as it looked? And he said, Yeah, it was poor, but it just felt like one of them nights that just that just didn't click. And I was like, it was more than that for me. Um they had I say they, they had about 250 fans and the average age of them was about twelve. I think they just let all the school kids in for free. So I think for me, that start of the game, at least we looked like we were better than St. Mirren, as which I think is the bare minimum, don't get me wrong. But I don't think there's much between St. Mirren and Aris. So therefore, at least seeing that we dominated that first that first period of time kind of gave me that wee bit of a lift. Because just, just jumping back to Dessas, on... Um, on Thursday, he just looked all over the place. He he didn't make runs into the channel. He didn't hold the ball up. What chances he did have, he just looked really uncomfortable. Uh, there was one that wasn't shown in the highlights where I think Seema done well to whip it in from the left. And he actually ducked out the way of the ball as opposed to trying to manoeuvre to get, get get his head up and get a, an attempt on target. It, the, the guy's just... I mean, I, I feel sorry for him on a human level. As you can just see, he just looks absolutely all over the place. He just doesn't look as if he actually looks like. I may describe him as when a, a goalkeeper, sorry, an outfield player goes in goal, and you just know he's not a goalkeeper. Him, he just looks uncomfortable. He looks like that as a footballer. Um, someone reminded me earlier today. I think my, my pal Warren. He said he looked like David James when he went up front for that game, um, the last last game of the season, Man City against somebody in a relegation battle was it Middlesbrough or something, and um, he just 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 looks so bad. Um, but let's hope uh, international break comes and he has a, a couple of good nights sleep and he comes back um, a different player. But we'll wait and see. But no, Dessers is definitely not 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 start his Rangers career. Yeah, it was great talking about Stereo This was a bit later on, actually, but since we're kind of covering them in depth just now, I'll just jump to it and I'll open up to you both, but JB, I'll let you answer. First, what does Stereo Dessers' future at Rangers look like as it stands? It seems like fans are completely out on him. Like, it feels like he's got no confidence. feels like um, the, when you spoke about the fact that when that chance when he was running through on goal, he actually took quite a good first touch, but it was... No one had any confidence, including him, that he was going to score. So what does what does Cyril Dessa's future as a Rangers striker actually look like, do you think? The only hope I've got, I don't think he's going to be the type of Rangers striker, like a Morellas, for example, who, um, who we mightn't be playing well and we'll win 1-0 Morellas. I think with Dessa's, the, the whole team's going to have to be playing well for him to play well. If, do you know what I mean? It's almost as if the, if the confidence is high and things are going well, you might just find that it might click for them. Do you know what I mean? And that's the only hope I've got is that if the rest of the team clicks, he might click. Uh, but I certainly can't see him. He's, he's, ne- he's never going to be... A- I can't see him. He's showing nothing that says he's going to be a Rangers number nine. And what I mean by that is somebody that is going to hit 20 goals, somebody that's going to bully defenders, someone that's going to run into channels. Um, I've never seen him as the... The big goal scorer this year, albeit it was a decent outlay for him. I always thought that was going to be Danilo. I thought Danilo was going to be our 25-30 goal a season striker. But I just thought this big guy was going to, I thought he was going to bully teams. I thought he was going to rough teams up. He was going to run the channels, create a bit of a press. Where I do feel sorry for him a wee bit, and then there won't be many people defending him. He does press quite a lot. He presses quite well on his own. But what you find is nobody else is pressing with him. So when he goes, it's just a waste of the jersey because nobody, there's nobody else in, in tune with him. Um, so if he presses, he might make a sprint, a 20-yard sprint. It just gets past the fullback because our way, because we've got no shape or consistency. from the midfield. Everyone's just staying very safe. So maybe once we get Campwell back and we get a few, I know you might say, well, we've done nothing when Campwell was there, but if you get a few of these guys back in the team who are willing to have a right good go, bit of a dig, bit of pressing, we, he might turn it round, but that's me being extremely ambitious. Um, 
I thought Sebo might turn it round, so probably not the best judge to ask. But um, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Um, do I think he'll hit double figures? Which is probably a, a decent comparison if we're looking for a for a for yes or no answer. I don't think he will. Uh, he might hit that on assists, but I can't see him getting it in goals. I think the plus that I agree with a lot of that. Probably the only thing I'd add is you don't see anything with them. And I would love for the, the guy to be rehabilitated and start banging them in now. Ultimately, that's to the benefit of Rangers. And, and he does look like a kind of little boy lost at the moment, right? And he keeps being thrown in. It's just not happening for him. But the thing is, you don't see anything. I get that pressing point, right? But again, minimal viable product, people to press at the right time. That's a squad thing as well. I, I get that. But it's not as if he's a striker that's come in and you go, you can definitely see it. He's just went through a barren, bad run of luck, or the keepers made amazing saves game after game or whatever, and you go, that's definitely going to turn around for him. He is absolutely on point. The keeper's making great saves, but he's getting the angles, he's making the runs. He's actually, he makes some decent runs, actually, right? Fair, fair play to him. But you never feel that he's ever going to actually make the keeper massively, massively work. You just go, there's nothing there. He'll need something to click, whether it's a wee bit of luck, he sclaps one in, he goes in a wee bit of a run. But is he going to get that chance in the first team? I'm not entirely convinced he is. But as we look around, you're saying, well, it's him, it's Lammers. Seema's scoring, thankfully. That's what, six and six starts. You've got Roof, but he was you know, particularly quiet and poor today, actually. And you go, right, okay, where, where are the goals going to come from? Right, you're running towards, running towards the, the, um, the transfer window um, at Christmas time, January. New manager, hopefully, in by that point, definitely in by that point. Are they going to try and revamp that and get him out on loan or try and do something with them? If you're, if you're still reasonably in touch and you get into the second half of the season, this is maybe my question to both of you and the listeners. If you're reasonably in touch, get into the second half of the season and you get a chance to get him out and get somebody else in, do you back the manager to do that or do you say, no, we want to see our guy come good because we actually own him and we need to try and make some sort of money back on him? Yeah, I would have him out the door in January, if I'm honest, and that probably does seem a bit reactionary at this moment in time. But I think you can, I think you can tell with a player like that. Tommy, me and you were sitting in the gantry at uh, for the Aberdeen game last week, and that chance in the first ten minutes where Tavernier plays him through, he, he absolutely any striker absolutely must hit the target as a bare minimum with that shot. Instead, he sclaps it over the bar, and to be honest, that was the that was the moment that I. Signed out on serial dissers. That, that was your that was your moment of clarity. Uh, and the thing is, nobody was surprised with it though. We were, as you say, we were sitting chatting about it. I'm sure everybody else at home watched the game in in the stadium. No, that it's a nice run, and I think it was Tavernier that clipped the ball over the over the top. And you think that's that's actually a lovely run. It sits up nice, make the keeper work, or you know, if you don't have the confidence, cut it back along the six yard box, do something with it. You know, try and create something. He does neither, and he just absolutely skies it with this weekend of flighted foot towards it before you notice in row Z and you go that's that's what you've got I, I struggle to understand what Michael Beale thought he was getting because he doesn't particularly lead the line that way or indeed how much confidence Michael Beale must have had in himself to say I can turn that around I can make him a better player and elevate his game and really get him firing in the goals because he doesn't do the other parts of the game, although I get GB's point, maybe the team that help him with that press. He doesn't really mess up defenders. He doesn't pull them all out of position. And he certainly won't take your chances. He's not your, I think one of you referenced it, he's not your 89th minute, looks like you're about to drop two points away to Motherwell or something like that on a wet night and he pops up and bangs one in for you and you go, right, that's what you bought. No, there's probably more chance that he's going to stick an OG in or something like that. I call him there, but... Yeah, that's that's where you are. I, listen, I'm interested. You would sell them, JB. What would you do? Yeah, for me, I, I, I can't see him turning it around. If we got to, to, to the question, if we got to January, a new manager comes in with some new ideas, um, and we, we've got a completely different option, I definitely would be taking it. I think the fact that we're we're screaming out for uh, guys like Lovelace to get a chance, when you start to get into them realms then it's not as if Lovelace is scoring week in, week out for the B team. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, if you think about the exposure he had last year, he hardly ripped leagues up, did he? Do you know what I mean? In the, certainly from a Lowland League perspective and stuff, he looked okay. He looked at the, Any games I've seen him, you can see, you know what, there's a bit of ability there. It looks quite raw. Um, so the fact that we're screaming for him to kind of be given a shot, it's the writing's on the wall. 
Um, as you said, as we always say, football can it can turn on its head. Um, we were talking off air in terms of how this season is that you've either been on the ceiling or on the floor. This season with Rangers, we've never been in the middle. Maybe that's just a maybe Cyril Dessers might uh, might hit the ceiling at some point, but um, I just re- I just really can't. Yeah. JB, don't, JB, don't break the fourth wall for the listeners. I, I want them to think that we don't talk behind the scenes and we all dislike each other. That's I, I don't want you to think it's, 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 it's therapy. It's therapy. It's a broken dressing room. It's a broken dressing room with Cleetrol and TII, um, and then just me myself. So maybe I'm the one that's doing something wrong there. Listen, actually, TII, I, I, Johnson, a Shaka. Give him a, give him a <laughs> actually, I have I, I've changed my mind on the moment I, I signed out on Serial Dressers. It was actually later in that Aberdeen game when he started blatantly fouling people and then acting shocked when he got the referee blue for three kicks. That was the that was the moment that frustration really boiled over for me. Um, right, just, just, just a wee small point on that Aberdeen game as well, right? I remember turning to you and saying this. Now, we know that his confidence is on the floor. We know he's getting absolute you know, dog abuse and stuff like that as well. He was the last guy off the park after the players tried to do the walk around to apologise. Now, he looked absolutely broken. Actually, I would have thought that his teammates, his captain, his manager, whatever, you don't leave that guy to be the last guy off the park. He's already a bit of a whipping boy. He's going to get you know a bit more of a boon and all that coming off. It's small things like that. Go and look after yourself. By the way, in the same... The same um, the same game, I think it was Tavernier at the end was shouting on Lovelace to get Ben Davies to come back for the walk round as well. Now, Lovelace, because we were sitting watching, I was watching him. Lovelace shouted on Davies. Davies heard him, turned round, and just walked straight up the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, this comment is. Um... An interesting one. So says Craig, did you sign out on Mark Hately? Well, I wasn't really born when Mark Hately was um was a Rangers player, which might um which might give the answer to that one. So um the answer is no, I didn't sign out on Mark Hately, but I wasn't alive. At he probably would have you reactionary get Craig. Um there you go. There we go with that the, one. The only, the only probably slight difference with Mark Hately was at the back of a lot of the Rangers fans' mags, I've spoken to some of the older fans and said, what was it like? Because we recently had Mark Haley in the club. And the difference was, we'd said we were signing a player that had played for AC Milan. He played for Monaco. He played, represented England. He scored in, he scored against Brazil in the Maracanã. Do you know what I mean? Serial Dessas has had one good season in the Europa League. The, I don't think it was even the Europa League. Was it the Conference League? Where I think every year must have went in. So, um, yeah, I think even though it was obviously a different time and obviously there was no social media back then, I think comparing Haley and um, Dessers is a massive disservice. I think Mark Haley and a lot of his teammates are probably delighted there wasn't social media back then, actually. I, I, I agree <laughs> with that as well. I agree with that. Some of the stories in the club. But I, listen, that speaks directly to my point I was making about Serial Dessers and that, or any player. Have you seen enough? As you say, GB, he came with a whole wealth of you know this guy's good and will come good. And sure sure enough, you can live with a bit of a barren spell if you say, I can see it. And yeah. eventually it does happen. With serial deserts, you don't, don't see it going to happen, unfortunately, for the guy. Right, let's move on from serial deserts. I feel like we've um, lambasted the guy enough in the last <laughs> 10 minutes or so. Um, well, I spoke about the part of the narrative being the fact that would Stephen Davis make changes to the starting lineup? And we just discussed the fact that he did make changes. We've spoken about serial dessers. Another part of that narrative, JB, coming into this game was around the, I guess, the core players that have been around for the last three, four seasons and consistently, time after time, um, albeit leaving out the 55 season, but outside of that season, consistently struggling in certain situations domestically, consistently making the same mistakes over and over again. Domestically, I think people were pointing to the likes of James Tavernier, Connor Goldson, Borna Barisic, John Lundstrom um, were, were the ones that I saw kind of mentioned. Obviously, we can't, we've, we've got however many injuries at this moment in time. I think I counted seven, maybe eight key players that were out injured at this moment in time, you, you can't replace a full start in 11. Um, and these kind of runs, you do need some experienced players and probably defence is where we are the most settled, albeit we look scared as soon as the ball comes there within 30 yards of our goal. Um, interestingly, on, with that 
kind of narrative in the background. The fans held up a banner early in the first half uh, that said heartless, passionless, leaderless, not fit to wear our colours. What 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 did you what do you make of that whole situation? What did you make of that uh, message from the fans? What did you make of that narrative before the game as well around those um I guess the um the, I won't say stalwarts of the team, but that's maybe not the right word. Yeah, I, th- I think the challenge we have with these guys is they probably fall into the category I was trying to go with Dessas earlier in the fact that when we're not playing well, these guys seem to be absolutely honking. Do you know what I mean? It's almost as if it's absolute, I'm not saying it's tools down, but you, they're the guys the, the newer players should be looking at for confidence and looking at and going, right, they're really stepping up. Now, you might turn around and go, well, James Tavernier, he's had a clean sheet today, he scored two goals, what more do you want? But the pro rat, he's going to score more goals and he's going to, he's going to, uh, because of the positions he puts himself in, he's going to have more assists because he takes every corner, he takes every throw in. So therefore, he's always going to be involved in the the goal, the goal numbers. The Connor Goldson one that's that's kind of sticking in my head at the moment. That's really frustrating me, and it was a bit of a light bulb moment over the last few weeks, kind of watching it. One of my frustrations with Rangers over the last five, probably say five years, even when Gerard was there, out with the fifty-five season, is Connor Goldson likes to play so so deep. It's unbelievable. So when the opposition, and I've seen it, I've seen it a lot on Thursday. I don't normally sit behind the goal when I go to the games. And one thing I've seen on Thursday is how deep Connor Goldson likes to play so he can see so much in front of him. So therefore, the gap between our defence and midfield is always massive. So I watched out for it today. Because um, where I sit in the governoria, you naturally just follow the ball, don't you? Do you know what I mean? You don't look to see where the defensive line is until we're getting until the game broke on. Connor Goldson loves to be absolutely deep and be the deepest man. And I've got a, I've just got a feeling that when we're not playing well, he just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. There was a moment today around the, I think it was around the, just before we scored the second, and Goldson was standing next to Butland to receive a pass, and the nearest St. Mirren player was on the halfway line. And you're thinking, what's going on here? Get, get to the halfway line, get your back four on the halfway line. St. Mirren, with 10 men, should not be getting out of their half under no circumstances for 80-90% of the game. They had three or four good chances today. Do you know what I mean? And, and Sorry, just to go back. And I've got a feeling that Conor Goals is driving a lot of that. Now, don't get me wrong. When he hobbled off against Liverpool last last season, uh, that was a, it was a game-changer on the night. It was almost as if everything just seemed to fall apart when he went off because we started the game so well. And then he was missing for a, for the first time in his Rangers career. And you know what? We didn't half miss him. But I think that was probably for the fact that we were putting James Sands and Liam King in. It wasn't for the fact that we probably we could put a suitor in. Or we could put a, maybe even a Balogun. If he's, is Balogun still there? I don't know. He seems to be... I think he was just signed for uh, entertainment in the in pre-season in Germany or something. But we haven't seen him, have we? But... Um, yeah, so that's your Goldson. John Lundstrom is never, I mean, I'm going on a bit of a rant here, but John Lundstrom's never a six and never will be. He hasn't got the technical ability to move the ball quickly. It's not his game. His game, and I think I say it on every pod that I'm on, his game is the old firm semi-final, which he's living off now, uh, where he put McGregor up in the air three or four times, go hunting players, putting your foot in, winning the tackles high, pressing. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a Mascarano, do you know what I mean? And I think that's where we're trying to play him like that. And he got caught out on Thursday night again by trying to do stuff that he's not particularly good at. I think he's got attributes, but we're just not seeing any of them because of the role he's being asked to play. And I'm hoping a decent manager that comes in, and that's one that I know we're going to get to this later when we look at the managers, but I want someone that can get the most out of players in the position that they play best. Because it feels for me over the last few years, and I've used Sequentes as an example as well, there's no way he's a right-hand side, right-hand side of midfielder. Because he always wants to go out wide as opposed to as opposed to going on even onto his left foot. He needs to probably start the games on his left hand side where he has for internationally and when he was in the MLS and cut inside. So yeah, back to your question about the uh, reliable play, the uh, the experienced player. But Barisic, but we know what we're getting with Barisic, don't we? Um, obviously passes backwards um, for every chance he gets, unless we're winning. And then you see Borna Barisic uh, absolutely flying down the left hand side. So another confidence player, which I think we need to root out. Being perfectly honest. Yeah, Tommy, 
JB is obviously um, passionate about how how those players are playing and, and where they sit, and actually they are their part in the um, in the sort of negative results, negative performances we're seeing at this moment in time. Um, can I get your thoughts more so on the banner and the message from the fans um, that that we saw today? I read out the sort of the phrasing that was used: "They are heartless, passionless, leaderless, not fit to wear our colours." Do you? How did you feel about that banner? First of all, what was your kind of reaction to it? Yeah, the the banner that James Tavernier never saw, uh, according to his post match uh, interview. Don't know how anybody in the squad would have missed that. Listen, before I get into that, JB spot on with all of that uh, in terms of you know his, his comments on the players. Maybe the thing that I would add to that to your question is, for some of these players, that's the fifth, sixth time they've seen that sort of. Um, uh, banner from the fans on various different seasons, right? You know, they've consistently not delivered. Uh, yeah, people, we, you know, we still talk about 55, yeah, brilliant, but you know, the club as a whole didn't kick on, some players didn't kick on, the boardroom didn't kick on, or whatever. Not until they got to this Michael Beale revamp that hasn't hasn't worked. You know, uh, I think Chris Boyd was particularly good on Sky Sports Day talking about the you know, thousand games, two trophies, etc. Now, we know. We hadn't performed particularly well and we hadn't delivered the trophies that we should have. Getting 55 was uh, a moment that the players have dragged out for a long time, actually, right? Because it did a lot of other things and it was the right time to win that particular title. Fantastic. Now, we got out some of the big players in terms of Morelos, Kent and all that type of stuff. But there are players in there who are legacy players who have seen that banner and heard those shouts of frustration and being on the wrong end of not just results, but themselves and their team, really poor performances, you know, five, four or five seasons. You know what I mean? They've got one peak and a lot of trough there. So at what point do you say, I mean, the fans need to make their, their voices heard. That's what we're here for, right? We support the club. It goes on when players leave, you know. But some of these players, it obviously doesn't really make that much of a difference because you hear the same things. Yeah, we, we need to go again. You know, we really believe in ourselves. We need to hunker down. I've got real belief in the squad. We need to make it better. We know it's not good enough. Well, yeah, but it's consistently not good enough. So at what point do you actually internalise that and say, maybe I'm just not good enough? Maybe I haven't delivered what I'm supposed to here. And at what point do you have a manager who's ruthless enough to do that as well? Because these players have stuck around whilst subsequent managers have come through. Now, I'm not saying they're terrible players. I'm just saying it's one thing to say, oh, listen, that's a, that's a banner. They must have got that message today. That's a banner that I've seen us have to deliver to players and squads several times over the last few years. There's your core problem because they've been parts of revamps with different managers and it's not quite worked. At what point do you say, right, we just need to go right back to route zero here and clean it out. Yes, that costs money. Where do you get that? Where do you, you know, draw the lines? I get all that argument. But at what point do you say enough's enough for some of these players who've been in the bricks? There's your question. I think that's a tough question to, to answer, to be honest, because we've recently handed James Tavenier a new contract. We've recently handed Connor Goldson a big contract extension. I was one that was um, vociferously campaigning for Borna Barisic's exit this summer, uh, but it never quite materialised. These are the guys that shouldn't be still part of the shouldn't be still playing such a big part of the team. I don't think now I'm a big Connor Goldson fan, and I would I would defend him because I think he he is a good player, and, and with the right players around him, he would be he would be good. Um, I think James Tavernier, we saw we saw what he offers the team today, and he once again um, will will ride off the back of what he does going forward positively, but defensively he still causes us massive issues. I think as fans, we've continuously almost argued with ourselves about whether that trade-off is acceptable or not, and I don't think anyone's ever really landed that if, if that's the right trade-off to have or not uh, in this game. And the likes of John Winstrom, John Winstrom, I thought would have left the club this summer. He should probably be a squad player maximum and yet he's seen currently as a vital cog in our in our midfield and that that shouldn't be how how it should be so 
Um, there's plenty of comments actually saying um, we need to bring in more Scottish players. Uh, we've seen that um, trolled out numerous times in the past as well. JB, do you, do you think it is just, and we'll, we'll start to move on towards the new manager shortly, but do you think it is just a, a root and branch removal of, of what's gone before and, and start all over again? We've effectively just been through a, a rebuild um, where two months after finishing or completing that said rebuild and we're looking to rebuild the rebuild is is it is it just root and branch start from start again yeah i just think if it just needs a it needs a refresh doesn't it i mean just to add to the the james tavernier points as well i think what hasn't helped the case is probably put them in the hall of fame when we did i think that probably that will always i think for some rangers fans will go against Tavernier. I think long-term, when we look back in years to come, uh, we'll look back and we'll remember him for what he did and what the, the numbers he delivered. And obviously, he was the captain of the Road 55. We'll remember him for all that and that'll be great and it'll be, be wonderful. I just think at the moment, it's, it, it's a culture piece that needs to change within the club. Uh, we need to create a winning mentality. And if you go through that squad, how many players can you say on that pit of, the, of that squad are winners? And what I mean by that, I've won stuff in their career. I've, ex- I've showed that when the chips are down, then you know what? They'll turn it round. They'll win it for us. They'll be firing into 50-50s in the last few minutes. The Tavernier against Aberdeen at home, don't get me wrong, it was a bad day at the office for everyone. But Tavernier could have stopped that third one from going in if he wanted it. If he was there, if he was a a Rangers captain that you'd say when you're creating a tick list of what a Rangers captain should look like, he, he should be firing through that defender. It was a 60-40 in his favour. And I think there was it's some some of the some of the things today kind of kind of masks Tav's goals and everything kind of just mask the stuff that we need from a one a Rangers captain and and what we need from somebody that's going to be integral in terms of playing every week. And for me, um I don't know whether I'm just still on a on a on a bit of a downer from Thursday, but you could sell any of them. I've got no emotional connection to any of them um, at the moment. Now, don't get me wrong; that will all change if we uh, if we go on a wee win and run, and football gets better. New manager comes in and revitalizes things. But I genuinely, there's nobody I'm looking at within that squad at the moment that I go, they are a winner. They are, I think, given 150 every single week. Um, they're ones that will. I imagine are raising the standards on the training grounds. They're the ones that will can point to their trophy, uh, their, 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 their trophy stand in the house. There's, it's almost just a case of, it's all right, we'll go again. We'll go again. We'll do better next week. We need to learn from it. Time's up for learning, lads. It's, it's almost a case of now we need to get back to where we need to be. Um, and if that, if that needs a full culture change by removing some of the, some of the old guard, if you want to call them that, then I'm all up for it. And just, just to play into that as well, because listen, I'm not picking out James Tavernier or anybody in particular there, right? And actually scoring the, the penalty, a bit of pressure and all that type of stuff, right? But I've, I've made myself quite clear that I think a lot of the squad just needs to be looked at in terms of that. How do you change the mentality within the, the dressing room, etc., and start to build that winning mentality that, that other clubs have? You know, that longevity. This, parts of the squad have been together for quite a long time, and actually it's been a relatively unsuccessful long time. But also, the key thing for me is, you know, we know a new manager is going to get appointed. There may be changes to the football structure as well. We'll get to that at some point. But they've been through refreshes already. And, and that's my, my problem in terms of just trying to understand how, how does the club and how does a manager really, really change that? Because you've got players in there who've been through, what, maybe four, four managers already, five possibly. And they've had some good managers in there as well. You know, Steven Gerrard, um, you know, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, not a bad manager. I think he'll go on to have a decent career as well, to be honest with you, right? But you look at it and you go, they consistently can't seem to get these players to a level. Now, either you're saying, right, that's these players or their ability or our ability to get the right players in because we're shopping in different markets. We don't have the finance, etc. I'm not quite buying into that. There's, there's ways to, uh, you know, Energize a squad. We've seen that relatively recently within the Scottish game, actually, right? But sooner or later, there has to be a focus then on right. You've got some big, big personalities in there, and they've consistently presided over not being good enough, right? 
do you try and go with them again to say, right, you set the standards in the dressing room for new people coming in? Or do you say, no, I need to press the big reset button that says we clear it all out and we start again, which leads you back to the problem of, right, well, how do you finance all of that type of thing? It's it's a difficult place that we're in at the moment. And there is no, I mean, I'd love to be wrong. Some manager comes in and just gets the best out of everybody. Amazing. But that's that's not exactly the, the high percentage. It's going to be a tough, a tough road. Yeah, right. Let's move on to the, the the new manager talk now, and potentially we can discuss some of the assurances that we think any new manager will be looking for. You've spoke there, told me about the various options that are available in terms of the the level of change that's required. And any new manager coming into a situation, especially one like this, will have their own demands and their own expectations that they will want to be met. Um, but let's start to unpack. I guess the last seven days, it was a the start of this show last week that it was that it was announced that Michael Beale had been sacked. JB, you were on the show, if I remember correctly, yeah. um, reacting to that in live time. Yeah. It's obviously been a busy week in terms of rumours and speculation. The club confirmed to ourselves, along with other media outlets, on Friday afternoon that uh, the club will be moving to the final um, final interview stage over the over the coming week, um, and that Frank Lampard will not be part of that process. Um, Tommy, start with yourself first of all. How have you viewed the last week and everything that's gone on? God, I didn't, I didn't expect you to word that question like that. Actually, uh, yeah, listen, it's nobody ever wants to. Whether you're, you know, a part of that booing of Michael Beale or you know venting on social media or whatever, right? I don't think anybody truly ever wants a Rangers manager to get the bullet because it means that we are not in a good place. Right, we can, we can all pretty much agree with that. Even if you don't like the guy, if we're being successful, that's fine. Right? Actually, I think it was just palpable relief when we got to the stage that he'd been put out of his misery, right? Because it just wasn't wasn't happening, right? And I actually think Michael Beals, you know, um, reasonable enough guy. I didn't like the whole appearing when Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was on his was on his last legs. I thought that was a poor moment, but also the board need to take a little bit of of blame for that as well. They invited the guy in. Not not good look, not good optics. But anyway, so he's out the door. We need to go through the reset again. And that's the, the problem. There was so much put into the messaging during pre-season, right? That it was a big reset, big transformation of the club. You had Stuart Robertson leaving, you had Park leaving, you had Bennett coming in, you had Stubbro stepping up, all that type of good stuff. There was money put forward. Michael Beale was coming in with a, a good reputation. You know, he turned down Wolves and all that type of stuff. It was a bit of property. Then we go and buy these players, question marks. But, oh, okay, let's see if they hit the ground running and he gets the best out of the squad. It's just run right into a brick wall. Now, we're not completely out of touch. And certainly the club, behind the scenes, are not writing the season off. You know, they think there's still a bit of, a bit of traction there. But we just need to then go and get in with another manager. And I'm a wee bit fatigued sick might be a better word, of us constantly being caught in a cycle of not just hiring new managers, but midway through a season or partway through a season or whatever. So then the new guy has to pick up the legacy of the old guy and get this whole, yeah, okay, we didn't, you know, the fan base are in limbo because you go, it's not his players. So now we need to wait until he gets his own players in and then that may or may not work again. It's tiring, actually. And so that's where we find ourselves again. It's going to be it's the Michael Beale situation all over again. Some it's the Pedro Cachinha situation all over again. You know, Gio, it's somebody else coming in, having to work with somebody else's players, question mark, potential wee bit of an excuse for them as well, because if it doesn't work out, they can point to that. Potential excuse for the players, because they go, oh, well, I was bought to do a certain thing, and now this man's just trying to get me to do something different. Uh, depending on who the name is, will probably fix where my confidence level goes. But it is a really difficult problem again. And we just seem to be caught in this cycle of not getting the right person in, getting them out, bringing in the new person halfway through the season or partway through the season, trying to go again. And it never quite works for us whilst everybody seems to make slightly better decisions. And then we're left with a rump of a squad that isn't really sellable, that isn't performing, that is on long contracts. And then we need to try and overhaul all that again. And then we talk about the football structure and what's happening with the academy. You know, ad nauseum on repeat, it becomes very, very tiring. Not exactly uh, my most optimistic on this Sunday evening, I have to say. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair view of it though. And I'm keen to obviously there was the comment that I, that I brought up there that I've actually just lost. It was Ian McPhee who said uh, this appointment will be Bennett's biggest ever decision in his Rangers and Board's time. Cannot get this one wrong. I, ca- I can't agree with that anymore. Actually, to be honest, and I, yeah, and the CEO that, James Bisgrove. Sorry to interrupt, but you can't walk past the fact that James Bisgrove has now stepped in. This is a big, big call, particularly as they don't have the shield of a director of football leading the search. They've put themselves right front and centre of that and they either take the credit if it goes well or they take a little bit of stinging criticism if they make a mistake. Yeah, JB, before we come on to the shortlist or who we who reports are suggesting are on the shortlist, it's actually quite hard to, to decipher who the club are who the club have been speaking to. We by process of elimination we could probably get pretty close, I think, and we'll come on to talk about that in a second. But the reaction of the negative reaction to Frank Lampard's rumoured discussions with the club was was unreal. Um to be honest, it was uh, I used the word vociferous earlier. I think that's that's a very fair word to describe this situation as well. It was really strong and it was clear most fans didn't want Frank Lampard. Where did you stand? on that one and, and what were your thoughts on Frank Lampard as potential Rangers manager? Yeah, I think the probably thing that probably sum it up best for me is um as was boarding the flight on um uh, back from back from Cyprus on Friday night. Obviously on a downer Rangers fans in the airport just look completely frustrated and everything. And everybody had a wee smile on their face when the news was getting around the airport that Lam- uh, Chris Jack had tweeted that Lampard wasn't getting the job. Believe it or not, it actually lifted me for the five-hour flight back. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy, and it's only because it just would have been a, a horrific move for me. Um, I mean, without obviously this isn't a Frank Lampard bashing show, but he um, done an average job with Derby, didn't get promoted despite doing okay, despite having arguably the best four players in the league and Mason Mount, Tom Lawrence, Harry Wilson, Tamore, who's now AC Milan. So we had these real quality players, didn't deliver. Done okay at Chelsea. Um, but again, the people say, oh, he couldn't sign players. He still had a squad of 20 world-class footballers to pick from. Didn't do nothing. Um, Everton, on, honest to God, was absolutely disastrous. Watching the football was horrific. The Everton fans... Spend um, a lot of time watching Everton, JB. Is, uh, is that what you're outing yourself here? Yeah, my little, my little brother's a home and away Everton fan, um, so that is the family club, that is the uh, my mum's side of the family, um, so yeah, I do keep an eye on Everton's results. Um, Couldn't walk past it, JB. Couldn't walk past it, mate. Yeah, no, don't blame you, um, but again, but I'll tell you what, I, I won't go back onto this one, but tell me two teams in British football that have shared as many players as Rangers and Everton. Uh, it, but I'll, I'll leave that one to the viewers, I've got up to 26 players. Anyway, um, but he was disastrous there. Um, he outed um, Decore, um, which, and just this is just an example of some of his really poor man, man management, because he was working too hard in training before a big game, um, and and that Everton fans just found that utter bizarre. Uh, and then his second spell at Chelsea with a nine percent win rate um, didn't fill me with much confidence either. Now he he speaks about Rangers really well. Um, and he was a cracking footballer, um, probably a very underrated player, as a player I've seen live on a number of occasions. And I couldn't believe how how hard he worked and stuff. But him coming up the road with Jody Morris and Ashley Cole was obviously it was honestly it was I was petrified uh, at the thought of it. Uh, I'd love to see him representing Rangers in the Masters or something, but never, never as a. Um, Never as the manager of this football club, we we need to we, we need to be getting winning managers across the line. We'll get to what type of manager we're looking for shortly, but we need to get somebody in now that is a proven winner as a manager in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, Tommy. So not to take us off on a complete tangent, right? But did anybody actually see the, the recent Masters? I don't know what they thought they'd stuck that carpet down with. Right? Uh, <laughs> Oh, Jesus! Every time they tried to turn on the ball, the whole bitch came up. Right. Unbelievable. Tommy, oh, yeah, I interrupted you there, Craig. Yeah, yeah I, I've completely lost my train of thought. We'll, we'll go with what JB was saying in terms of we need a, pro, a proven winner um, with with the next manager that comes in, Colin. 
Montgomery. Um, I will continue to make the joke, Colin, in terms of not being the golfer. Um, looking at all of the candidates, who in the pod can guarantee any are going to work? I think that's the risk any what you take with any any manager. It's the risk you take with any signings that we make. Um, no one's a guarantee. That sentence construction is a trap. Right, you, you you can't guarantee anything, right? And certainly not that, and not all the different variables that are in there. You could win somewhere else, then you come to Rangers and you can't handle the pressure. You can't win. You're working with the squad that we've just lambasted for the last half an hour or whatever. You maybe don't get the other players you want. You suffer some bad luck. You suffer some horrible injuries to key players in your squad or whatever. So fair play, Colin. I get the question, but. There is no, there's no guarantee. It has to be based in devils. And then you look at, have we set ourselves up for the best potential crack at either trying to get the right manager in and give them the right tools? And then you start to look at the players and say, have they done enough to actually come with it? And that's the part, the earlier part of this conversation. The manager probably made mistakes and the players have done them absolutely no favours whatsoever. Uh, and they've done the club no favours as well. So there's equal parts of blame there. I look at some of those players in that squad and I think, why are you still in a Rangers jersey? Sorry, yeah, slightly longer answer there. That's all right. Uh, before we move on to the list of who who I think I've narrowed it down to now, that's by no means um, means it is correct, but it's the ones that by process of elimination I've got down to. Back to the, the flooring at the Masters, um, or what the pitch was stuck down with. Um, Craig Hart says he stuck it down with Dessler's form, um, which potentially is slightly <laughs> harsh for that one. But and then um, Stuart Henderson maybe shedding a bit of light on this one. He says he's a res- resident cleaner in Brejadarina and he thinks it was a guy called Lee. So, Lee, whoever you are, um, yeah, Stuart's absolutely grasped you in there on that one. So, unfortunate there. Um, moving on to the list itself. So, Tommy, I'll come to you first for your thoughts. So, Philippe Clement, who is the Belgian manager, who has uh, he's been in charge of Genk. He's been he was successful with Club Bruges for I think three seasons, potentially four seasons. Um, Kevin Muscat, who has been long long mooted, um, Yokohama Marinos managers now. He had success in Australia as well. A lot of people focusing on the Ange Postacoglu influence with Kevin Muscat. I noticed that he came out in a press conference today, potentially yesterday, and said that he wanted to stay to lead Yokohama to their next title. Their season doesn't finish till 3rd of December by process of elimination. That maybe makes him a bit of a longer shot on that one. There's Oliver Glasner, who was the Eintracht Frankfurt manager when we played them in the Europa League final um, in Seville. And then there's P- Pascal Janssen, who, as the weeks go on or as the days go on, I think um, becomes less and less of a likely candidate. Um, he's, he's the current AZ Altmar manager. They beat uh, Ajax today in the Amsterdam Arena. They are currently joint top of the Dutch Eredivisie, which suggests I don't think he's leaving that job anytime soon, given how successful they're being. Those are the four that by process of elimination, I think might be on the list. Where do you stand on those, Tom? Yeah, uh, and I, I can see the Cybrox on Kendall uh, really flying the flag for Graham Potter. That, that's, that's not going to happen. That's, that's definitely not going to happen. Sorry to ruin your your, your Sunday night, Kendall. Um, but I don't see I don't see Graham Potter being anywhere near the list, actually, to be honest with you. Um, Muscat and Clement um, seem to be seem to be the, the noises that are being made uh, at the moment. I definitely think that the Knutson stuff has been dialed completely down as well. Um, I think Janssen, outside chance, but I, I don't necessarily see that. I think, uh, and the club haven't naturally informed anybody um, in terms of media or anything like that and ourselves of how many people have made it throughout the final uh, selection process. Uh, my, you know, my guess would be it'd be three, two, three at a maximum. You don't, you don't want a, you know, a second stage or a final stage any more than that. Um, I, I think they'll end up. I mean, you're asking me for who I think is going to get it. Is that, is that your question? Has my mind? Yeah, well, just nail your, nail your colours to the mast here and out, Tommy. And you go. I think Clement will get it. I think the noise around him seems to have been growing and growing over the last couple of days. I think fans are more and more. And him, I guess the question is, will he buy into the club? This buy into Rangers at this moment in time. That's the other side of it. Like with Graham Potter, if we want to approach Graham Potter and he doesn't buy into 
the thought of Rangers or the thought of managing Rangers just now he turns it down and we move elsewhere. It's the same for any manager. It's a two way it's a two way street. He needs to guarantees as well. He needs to have them if he's coming and in. Some of that conversation has to be exactly what we've just covered here, right? Doesn't you know, whoever comes in, they have to be sold on unless there's you know a lot more transfer activity and money in the backgrounds, right? They're gonna to have to work with the even if there is money, right, doesn't matter. They're not going to do wholesale changes in January, so to speak, right? You're not going to do 10 in, 10 out. So they're going to have to work with the rump of the players that they've got right now. So they have to have one eye on that. Do they think they can get the best out of that? And can the club come again into the market and say, right, we're going to have another transformational window like we just had there, that big reset? So the, the manager and his team are going to have to be sold on that. The board's going to have to be sold on what they're going to do with the best of what they've got in the young players. As you look about some of the names in there, you know, you start to get maybe a wee feel for that's what they're looking for as well. So any manager coming in has to set themselves up, yes, but they have to be set up by the club. And that's before you turn to, you know, the noise has died down. Are the club going to return to the DOF structure? Um, you know, and what what is the parameters of that? Because it looks like the manager will be appointed with none of that. And then you have to find a relationship that works. Or do you try and double up, obviously, with some of that Monaco stuff? So, you know, there's a there's a couple of variables in there that the club need to work through. And definitely that DOF part, uh, director of football part, director of operations, whatever you want to call it, right, football operations, has to be in the, the mix as well. We were talking, let's go back to JB's fourth wall point, right? You've got me started now. But we were talking before the, the pod began. One of the big selling points of director of football as well is supposed to be continuity. We've had to. And now we're talking about not having one and the club being all over the place and having to reset again. So what exactly was the purpose of those first two director of footballs and why hasn't that continuity existed as you go through the managers? Because if you buy into that, then the manager's supposed to be a replaceable element, but the DOF is supposed to keep the, the club's philosophy burning. So how do you walk back into that again? Is a, a point that I think sometimes gets missed a little bit in this conversation because we're all just focused on a new manager. JB, on that on that list of four, Tommy's obviously said it's going to be Philip come on, and anyway, and if it's not Philip come on, you can come and fire all your criticism towards Tommy. Um, but I did put in the I say I think <laughs> it will be. Uh, I wouldn't put your. Please don't put your mortgage on that in any way, shape, or form. Looking at looking at that list of four, what are your thoughts on that short list and any of their styles? appeal to you. I don't know if you've had the chance to kind of have a, a wee look at their, at their background and then on Tommy's point, what do you think they can do with the squad of players that, that are already there? Do you think they can get a tune out of them in a way that we've not been able to so far? Yeah, I think so. Uh, just in terms of your first, first side of the question, I think um, to try and distract me from Thursday, I've, I've kind of done quite a bit of research in terms of listening to podcasts and gone a wee bit further afield, read quite a bit about the all the managers that have been linked. I didn't bother with Lampard, as you can probably tell. But um, Muscat ticks a hell of a lot of boxes for me, um, for kind of from the outside looking in, in terms of his character, um, in terms of the way that he speaks. I watched a really good interview with him on the um, being sports a few, uh, few months back talking about his time so far and it was almost the, the person who was doing the interview was kind of saying well you've just have you just taken over from Ange and just kept up the good work and he he bit back and kind of said well no no well look at the amount of players that have gone out and come back in um look at the way that we that, that we now attack um a lot more uh, we attack a lot more with our on the wings as opposed to uh, maybe maybe everything was more central. He said, things have changed, have changed the shape, our playing tactics and our stats back that up. We just thought, oh, that was quite ballsy to kind of go out and do that. Um, he knows what it's all about playing for Rangers. Um, again, you, sometimes you can't put a price on that. Now, the only caveat that you might go, well, Van Bronck knew what it was like to play for Rangers and some of the domestic performance, certainly away from home, were absolutely scandalous. So that doesn't work. He's won things um, on a, obviously it's on a lower scale to what we're used to, but winning is winning um, at the end of the day. Um, looks to be playing a, a real attacking style of football. He's refreshed the squad and again, looks like he's on to a, he looks like they're having a half decent season this year. Uh, might even go on to win the title. So he was kind, he's kind of caught me eye quite well. Um Glasner, um, again, done quite a bit of research on today. The big one for me was his time at Lask. Um, so prior to him going to Wolfsburg, 
Um, what the stat that caught my eye the most was he had a, a plus 135 goal difference over a four-year period. Now, last with all due respect, they're hardly a powerhouse of Austrian football, never mind European football. Um, so to deliver some of them really big numbers and then get a big move to Wolfsburg, and then uh, Wolfsburg got them into the Champions League and then took what he probably thought was another big step up to Frankfurt. Um, and obviously we know what he went on and didn't done there in Europe. Those are a piece of fantastic team in the final, I'd like to say. Um, but again, he's caught the eye. But the one for me that, that's kind of I, I keep homing in on and I'm struggling to hear bad things against them is Clement. I think in terms of as a player, he was a winner. Uh, he was a captain of his team, which is, is always good to see. Everyone seems to speak really well with him. He's worked both in a director of football and a non-director of football environment, uh, as Tommy touched on there under Mitchell. Uh, I think it's three Belgian titles uh, with two different clubs. I think he's done three in a row over two different clubs, which, which says something. Uh, he knows how to win that league. That Belgian league is the amount of money that's coming out of that league. The standard, the standard is pretty high. We've seen quite a lot of Belgian football over the year, over recent years. Um, and we've got the better of them in most cases. But if you, even if you look at the likes of USG and Standard Liège and, and the left of you go back a wee bit further, Bruges, these teams have been in and around Europe every year. So the standard is there. Um, went to Monaco and didn't really have everything that a lot of players sold round about them. So hence the reason why that probably didn't work, work as well. Uh, but what I, the big thing that I touched on it earlier in terms of what I want from our next Rangers manager is he, he was asked that one of the journalists was asked what's his playing style and it, the response to the belt that the Belgian journalist came back and said he hasn't really got a playing style what he does he bases it against the opposition and he gets the most out of the players that he's got and that for me is what I'm, I think we need to see it doesn't need to be a flat 4-3-3 it doesn't need to we do plan A and if plan A doesn't work we do plan A better all that nonsense and these sound bites we've had over the years I'm homing in on him. Uh, for me, I think he's uh, his win rates are looking just shy of sixty percent um, in the last few years in terms of where he's been. Now you might go, well, what does that mean? But you translate that into Walter's time. Um, I'm not comparing him to Walter Smith, by the way, and Alex McLeish's time, who were two really successful managers over different periods of time, and they were coming in around sixty-one percent. So therefore, you know that that's kind of the area that you need to be winning on a regular basis. So. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be too displeased with Clement, but you'd look at the guy that was pleased with Beal and Van Bronck. So um, I don't want to, to Tommy's point, I think everybody's got that nervousness of nailing the colours to the mast. And just to jump back to Potter, I don't think that would be a good appointment. I honestly don't. I think he's got a brand of football that he's continued at Brighton, similar to what Swansea had going on a few years ago, where Michael Laudrup was going to be the next best thing, and then Brendan Rodgers moved in there. Martinez, it was all kind of a brand of football that with the, the club deserved credit for as a pro, pro, the figurehead. He went to Chelsea and shat the bed, if we have it right. It didn't, there was nothing there at all. So, um, and just to emphasize that point in terms of how unique ranges are, Potter will probably get the next Premier League job from anyone outside of the top four. That's kind of where his stock is. So, for me, not being over the moon that we won't get him as the next Rangers manager tells me that will re re reiterate that we are so unique and with the, the the strive for winning things is is more than ever and with all due respect what's potter ever won so yeah there's me there's me there's me assessment good it's good breakdown uh, gb and, and thank you for that I'd, I'd maybe just the one small part that i'd put into that uh, equation is the might go against Clement is that he won in his own league, if you like. His own patch. Yeah. Aye, one own patch. Coming out and then going to another place is probably going to be pretty high on the selection panel's list of can you show that you can do it somewhere else? Because I think we can all probably agree whoever gets appointed won't have managed in Scotland before. And so they're coming at a brand new place. They're going to hit the ground. We're going to have to hit the ground running. They're going to have to get up to speed. Actually, that's maybe something that plays to come on to some extent in that he's not wedded to a, this was the style that worked in that league. Therefore, it has to work in this league. But mm. it's definitely the one the one thing that would uh, that would maybe be uh, maybe a black mark against him in terms of, right, can you show that you've done it in more than one place? Aye. Yeah. Yeah. 
CGM 55 there says none of the candidates particularly stand out. I think just to round us off, I'm actually quite encouraged by the list of candidates because they're not the the standard people who are up for every single job kind of candidates. They're not the standard easy links. They're not the likes of Frank Lampard. They're not the likes of Scott Parker. They're not, thankfully, when I, Michael Beale was first, it was announced that people were talking about Neil Warnock and stuff like that. And it was just like, Stuart well, Baxter for director of football. Is that well, is that one we bring back? Does anybody remember Stuart Baxter? Does anybody remember that? <laughs> Every single uh, manager's job or info that that was ever quoted in Scotland for a while. Stuart Baxter from I think it was, he was in Japan at the time um, was was always quoted. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad that the the list isn't those people, and it does seem like a particular style of manager that that we are looking towards and a particular type of thinking as well, which is um which I find encouraging anyway. We're over there we're much now. So I think we'll round off the podcast there. Thank you very much to JB and thank you very much to Tommy for joining us. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. If you have enjoyed tonight's podcast, please drop a like on the video, drop us a comment with anything you agree or disagree with. Um, remember to subscribe to the TI YouTube channel as well and you'll get a notification every single time we go live or um, a new video is uploaded. In terms of what we've got coming up, Kyle and the team will be back on Wednesday night. It's obviously entering an international break, but like I said, it's not going to be a quiet international break for Rangers, so make sure you, you, you keep coming back to us for your, your latest thoughts on on rangers and the manager the managerial search and everything in between thank you very much everyone for listening and until next time goodbye Podcast Network.